We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight we're here to break down the Giants' all-22 film on the defense during their loss to the Cleveland Browns in Week 15. Nick, how you doing tonight and what is your general feeling after watching this defense on the all-22? Defense, again, you could see they rally to the ball. They play really hard. Kind of say all of these cool coaching cliche things and I think they are all true and there's merit to them but they were just up against an offense with so much more talent than they possess and the way Kevin and we'll just jump right into Kevin Stefanski the way he schemed against the Giants zone defense was phenomenal man the spacing between the routes to just manipulate the zone coverage between the hash and the sideline there were so many high low concepts There were so many in-breaking routes, digs, quick curls breaking inside, slants that took advantage of the fact that the Giants were in cover three technique where their outside corner has his butt to the sideline, giving the inside and trying to hope that that safety can get down. But the timing and the rhythm of Baker Mayfield, that's where he deserves credit, was so excellent that the Giants can never really execute their assignments in zone coverage because spacing of the routes and 
Baker Mayfield's ability to get the football out of his hands and to his receivers. Yeah, I think you brought up an excellent point. It's the general takeaway I have as well. And I come away from this game less less worried, I guess I would say, about what happened and what transpired, because it is true. I mean, they absolutely dominated the Giants' defense in this game, and Patrick Graham, and his zone defense was, in a sense, figured out, if you want to call it that, by Kevin Fancy. But I don't come away worried that worried about that, because as I look more into this, and as you know, the story builds, and this goes back to a long time ago, when he took over as interim offensive coordinator of the Vikings with Case Keenum and made Case Keenum look like a legitimate top 10 NFL quarterback. And then when he left, the Vikings offense kind of fell off a cliff. And this is a guy who I know someone in the industry who is good friends with Kevin Skansky and said he's the next big thing at head coach. He's going to get hired soon. People love him. They think he's going to be a smash hit. And then you look at his entire body of work and then you look at this season and what you see on tape here is what you just said. He did an excellent job to run the type of route concepts and route combinations to completely take advantage of all the things we talked about. We saw this for weeks on this podcast. We've been saying this defense isn't perfect. There are going to be ways to beat it. Some teams have done a better job than others. No no team has done as great of a job of it as Kevin Zavancy and his Cleveland Browns did in this game. It's not the only reason why they move the ball so well. Kevin Zavancy has a really, really good tendency to do two things that we talked about in the last podcast that make offenses hum. The first is run a lot of play action, and the second is pass the ball on obvious rundowns out of heavy personnel groupings and heavy formations that make it look like it's going to be a run because there's nothing more valuable in the NFL than passing plays. Unfortunately, running just doesn't do as much as it needs to. It's great. It's a good thing to have and supplement. You can't, and when you don't have it, you end up having an offense like the Steelers do, which doesn't move the ball. But ultimately, it needs to be used to open up the passing game because your scoring and your chunk plays are mostly going to come from the passing game. And that was the case in this game where Baker Mayfield was legitimately almost flawless in this game. And Kevin Skafancy is a big reason why. I think Warren Sharp made this point and I, you know, retweeted and said I thought it was a great point and talked about why I thought so was after watching this tape. But Kevin Skafancy really deserves to be in the running for not just rookie coach of the year, for coach of the year. Because he's not only a rookie head coach who's done who's turned this Browns program completely around and made them a ten win team through what what are they, ten and four right now heading into these last few games? It's incredible. He also calls the offensive plays and designs that offense. He didn't have an offseason or preseason. All the Zoom meetings, all the things we talked about that made it so hard for Jason Garrett and the Giants, all the excuses we made. He took those excuses and he, and he smashed his foot on them and said, I don't care about any of them. I'm taking over a quarterback who was genuinely terrible in 2019. Baker Mayfield was awful. There was people laughing at his tape and his footwork in the pocket and how bad he looked last season. And now he looks like a completely rejuvenated quarterback who looks even better than he did, in my opinion, during his rookie season. Baker Mayfield, at this current stage, is playing better football than he did during his rookie season. And I think a lot of that has to do with Stefanski. There's some plays we're going to talk about on this podcast for sure that I want to get to that may be less so kudos to Stefanski and more so what the hell's going on on the defense that I want to ask you about. But before we do any of that, I did want to say like, unbelievable kudos to Kevin Skabansky for this game plan. This was incredible stuff. Really was. Did what offensive coordinators are supposed to do. Show one play from one formation and then run a variation of that, something different, then run the play action and then disguise that and run another play to manipulate the defense and keep them guessing. You can keep showing a defense one specific look, but 
if you keep running the same play, which is something that the Giants have had issues with, then they're going to know what you're running. But if you keep doing so many different things, you attack deep, you attack intermediate, tight end screens, which we saw twice in this game, then you actually run the wide zone. You have to worry about Nick Chubb and how he attacks cutback lanes. You're going to keep the defense guessing the entire time. So you're right, man. Kudos to Kevin Stefanski with that game plan and Baker Mayfield as well for executing those throws. I don't know if you saw the the first and 10, 9-18 left. The throw he had to Rashard Higgins, the timing on this play action throw was excellent. He goes into his play action, he hits his back foot and before Higgins even breaks on Isaac Yadam, who's in solid coverage on the play, outside leverage, and it's a route breaking outside. Baker Mayfield throws the ball well before the break. Rashard Higgins turns and it's a 17-yard gain and a nice contested catch by Higgins and Yadam was all over him. There were a couple plays where Yadam, somebody who I'm not particularly high on, was actually in really good coverage, but the ball was just placed in the perfect spot. So Baker Mayfield really lit the Giants up, man. He did. Baker Mayfield is somebody who me and Nick have both been down on in the past, and I think he's now, it's clear to say he's improving, taking big strides in this offense. It goes to show what someone like Kevin Skafancy can do for a quarterback, though. I'll, I'll say that. And, you know, as much props as we want to give the Giants for hiring Joe Judge, and I do like Judge, not as much as some of you, but I do like Judge. And I think if Judge can get the right offensive coordinator in to match what he found on the defensive side of the ball with Patrick Graham, then they could be in really good shape. But I'll say this, if the Giants had hired Kevin Stefanski instead of Joe Judge, right now this offense would look a lot better. It's straight up, point blank, this offense would be a lot better with Kevin Stefanski implementing his own offense and calling the plays than it is with Jason Garrett. I think this offense would be an excellent fit for Daniel Jones personally. From a passing standpoint, I'm not 100% sure about the rushing the if this game, personnel yeah. fits as sure. well because the run game would be completely different. But with the coaches, yes. say they did have Bill Callahan and they did have Kevin Stefanski yeah, right. in the wide zone and stuff like that, then that would be coached up enough to where the, this personnel can easily, I think, have success. I mean, they're professional athletes. It might not fit their skill set as much as the power gap has, but I think they would definitely still find success. And the hope would be that if you had hired us to fancy, you could have brought Callahan along. Like we said on the last podcast, Jason Garrett and Bill Callahan will never work together again. So that, you know, they ruled that out immediately. And obviously the Giants are on to their next offensive line coach since, you know, the guy who Garrett brought along didn't work out for whatever reason. But that brings me to my next point. I mean, agreed. It might not look as pretty in the run game and that could kind of screw up the whole offense. And part of that is because this Browns franchise, this roster, they're, they've turned over GMs, but... Really, it started back in 2018, that same draft class where they landed Wyatt Teller when the Giants, you know, multiple, hundreds of picks after the Giants spent their 34th pick on Will Hernandez, who is a considerably worse player than Wyatt Teller right now in his career, and most likely will finish that way. They signed Jack Conklin. That was the Nate Solder of their signings, but this one's actually working out. They were able to land Jedrick Wills somehow, and they didn't have the fourth pick. We don't still, we're still kind of curious why the Giants didn't go Wills, but it's okay. And so they've really retooled that offensive line. They obviously drafted Betonio a little bit while ago, and Treader is a guy I believe they got in free agency. But it brings me to my point, Nick. From watching the film now, what are we, 15 weeks through this Giants season? We've seen 15 games. I don't think there's any offensive line that has looked better on tape against the Giants' defense than this Browns' offensive line. And I don't think there's any offensive line that could be playing better football in the NFL right now. Is that a fair statement to make? It's a very fair statement to make. And again, the Browns also were without Wyatt Teller in this game. Yeah. And I wonder what the difference would have been for the rushing attack. Maybe Nick Chubb would have had a bit more success. But I do want to give kudos to the Giants defensive front because they played incredibly hard and there was not a lot of running room for Nick Chubb and Kevin Stefanski kept trying to pound the rock especially in the second half but 
the front four, I guess, if you want to call them, really. I mean, they really rotated them out, and they would have three down linemen. They would do two, four, five looks, but mainly B.J. Hill, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and obviously Dalvin Tomlinson and Austin Johnson, too, all played pretty damn well in this football game. Yeah, I think if you're looking for the bright spot on the defense in what was ultimately not a very bright game for the defense, that's okay. We're not going to be able to tell you 15 games worth of all 22 breakdowns where the defense and Patrick Graham is all kudos, you know, everything's going great because it wasn't against Arizona and it wasn't here either. And that's fine. This is a five and nine football team. But if you're looking for a bright spot, it's the run defense. Both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb averaged less than four yards, like fewer than four yards a carry. The Giants did an excellent job shutting them down. They did something different schematically than that, what they have done. And from a personnel standpoint, all three of the Giants' big three IDLs played at least 48 of the 64 defensive snaps. And I think that'll be a really good preview of what you can expect to see against the Ravens next week when the Giants play the Ravens, because I think we'll see a similar rotation. That's way more than we've seen. Usually, you know, the third of those big IDLs ends up um, falling into the 20-25 snap range. But in this game specifically, those guys played a lot of snaps. The Browns used a lot more heavier personnel, and they are a team whose identity is to run the football, so that could be the reason why. I'm actually curious to see if Baltimore will do the same thing because of Lamar Jackson, if they're going to try to put more speed out there. But I'm a little bit scared of of Baltimore's offense, just to be honest, just because the the size difference (laughs) on the edge and just the inexperience on the edge and those guys, these Carter Coughlin's, Cam Browns, Nico Lelos, they've they, they've been disciplined, but you're going to really have to be disciplined when you're playing someone like Lamar. Yeah, it's going to be really tough to contain Lamar. The Giants obviously had trouble containing Kyler Murray, and then honestly, even to some extent, containing Baker Mayfield at times. He ran for a few first downs in this game. That where, was when they were in man coverage, yeah. too. You could see, like, whenever the Giants ended up going into man coverage, which was not often you'd see Baker Mayfield take off and also the touchdown pass, which is in the red zone, different kind of story. Everything's really, really tight and condensed. That was in man coverage with Isaac Yadam. Very nice pass to Jarvis Landry. Okay, Nick, there's a few plays I wanted to break down with you that were what the hell happened plays for me when I watched them on tape. So I want to get your opinion on, on them. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. 
Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Nick, so let's start with this play, and it's a critical play. In the third quarter, with 3.36 remaining, the Cle- the Browns are faced with a third and seven here from their own 19. They're still up 13-3 at this point, and there's time running down in the third quarter. If the Giants get a stop here, they're able to get the football back, likely at their own four, around 35-40 range, only down 10 points with more than a full quarter to play. They could still potentially be in this game. Of course, with Cole McCoy offense, that may not be the case, but in general game terms, game script terms, they're in the game. And it seems like there's just a breakdown here of some sorts. So let's go over what happens here and why the Browns are able to get such a big gain on this play and then move the move the sticks. Yeah, like you said, third and seven, and the Browns come out in a three-by-one set. So what the Giants do is they sell man coverage. They all go up to the line of scrimmage, and they're all about two yards off the line of scrimmage, except for Adrian Colbert, who is going to be the deep safety. But it's going to be more of a zone match type look where they're going to drop into a three-deep type of coverage and on this play three by one the number two receiver so that's going to be the second receiver towards the outside he's going to run the clear out so he's going to run inside of Xavier McKinney who's the apex defender he's going to run basically directly at Adrian Colbert and then behind that Julian Love is going to be covering the number one receiver who runs basically a deep dig route Now, Julian Love is playing off. He's not in trail technique. He's playing off because he knows he doesn't have any help over the top. He's matching Rashad Higgins' route. Xavier McKinney here does not seem like he has a good understanding of route concepts or feel for where players are breaking to. He drops, he passes his defender off to Adrian Colbert, and then he just kind of sits and doesn't feel the number Rashad Higgins kind of breaking. But in his defense, he's watching and this is kind of issues with zone coverage sometimes. He's watching the tight end from the backside who looks like he could be running a drag, but the tight end ends up sitting just to occupy the linebacker to open up the void for where Rashard Higgins is going to break. And I think that kept Xavier McKinney in the spot where he was originally. And I think that was kind of the issue with McKinney, but he didn't feel that route breaking behind him. And Julian Love just didn't have the click and close ability to break down on Higgins' route. So... I don't really necessarily want to fully blame McKinney there because he is looking at Austin Hooper on that drag. I don't know if there's some sort of communication that he could pass on to that linebacker at this point of the play where the ball is going to have to come out right away to where he can notify Tay Crowder to just stay with Hooper and then he could drop to depth. He's probably not maybe as advanced as that. That was Logan Ryan. Maybe that would have happened. But that's basically how this whole thing materialized. It was just a nice clear out, nice dig route. Julian Love a little bit soft on the coverage which is something that was consistent the entire game just this team was kind of soft with their coverage and what I mean by soft is they were just playing off a little bit giving cushion to these players because they were scared of either getting beat deep or they were just trying to play that top down defense that we talked about where you can make the completion but you're not going to get the yards after the catch but with the rhythm and the timing that Baker Mayfield used in this game they couldn't break click and close and get to that catch point enough to disrupt passes which we've seen so many times from Bradbury. 
Yeah, and I think that was an excellent breakdown of just kind of the 30,000-foot view on what went wrong for the defense. It's a lot of that. They played a lot of the same soft coverage you'll see a lot from this defense because they don't want to get beat over the top. But in this game, the rhythm and the timing for Baker Mayfield and the velocity that he put on those throws was excellent. But on this specific play, I can I can understand why you can knock McKinney, but I think you know he's still learning reps and he doesn't know the system and where to be. But I will knock Julian Love for not having that click and close ability to make a play on this and drive on this. And he really once Higgins makes that break on the in route, he really seems it seems like Love has two or three false steps backwards and doesn't have the ability to then recover and make a PBU here. Um, and from a ball that you know takes a while, it doesn't take a while to get there. It's a nice rip, but it's 20 yards down the field, so it's possible to break on that ball. But I will say this: this is an excellent example of my issue with Jason Garrett, because this is a third and seven play. And what does Skafanski not do here? He doesn't run four curls to the fucking sticks. Excuse my language; it's just so frustrating to see it. It's he only needs seven yards to move the chains, quote unquote. But he's not running a route combination here where you can run four spaced curls to the sticks and you throw to one of them instead he runs mesh underneath like nick said crossers underneath and then he runs a clear out route from the slot to take the single high up so he can open up that deep dig from the boundary one it's freaking simple stuff and it's so much better than running freaking four curls to the sticks on third and seven four spaced curls and it's just it's rough it's tough I can't take it anymore i'm done watching garrett i hope this doesn't continue because this is just another example to me of good offensive play calling here it's third and seven and he has no interest here stefanski in in picking up a first down for eight yards or seven yards he wants to take this 22 yard shot because he knows based on his route concepts and his play design and what the giants are showing with a single high safety and all the other players on this defense lined up right over the receivers that he can get this clear out to work and he can have that space in the middle of the field to throw that that in cutting route so that's kind of what I took away most from this play. It's also important to to notice that that number three receiver also ran like a deep crossing yeah. route, and that occupied Adrian Colbert's attention late in the rep, which really allowed that dig route to open up. So it's just another good point, another excellent scheme against this zone coverage. And actually, it was Isaac Yidem, which is interesting enough, who was lined up in the slot there. I think I said Tay Crowder before, but it's actually Isaac Yidem who ends up passing him off to Adrian Colbert and then taking Austin Hooper there. And I think that's what ended up keeping Xavier McKinney in spot to not kind of drop to the depth to also help eliminate that dig. But you're right, Julian Love has to have that click and close ability because he's out of that break and there's like a three yards of yeah. full separation there and he doesn't really get down there. And I, athletically, from everything I've seen from Julian Love in the past, I think he has that ability. That's something he has. It's just that might be a mental thing and just maybe he was expecting something different. Maybe he thought McKinney was going to close down on it and he was just going to stay over the top of the route. I'm not 100% sure. But again, to be fair to the kid, he has no reps playing corner in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. And like Nick said on the last podcast or the reaction podcast, you know, it's when you're training every day at safety and then you're just, okay, you're playing corner this week. It's not easy. So, you know, I'm not going to fully knock him for that. I will say this before I get on to another head-scratching play, which was my most hated play of the game and something that bothers me and I want to get your take on. I will say this, as far as McKinney goes, because he's someone I've been literally just trying to watch 
excuse me, every time the Giants are on defense, I've had my eye on 29 because this is a big building block for them. He's going to have to be a hit for this team to take a big step forward. And I thought he played a lot better in the run game this game. I thought he was really active and really physical in the run game. That's something he really did a great job of at Alabama. He played, you know, 66% of his snaps over the slot or in the box at Bama. And he was never afraid to mix it up there. He's not a big player. He's not a really big safety, but he plays big and physical. And I thought he did a much better job there. He's just getting his feet wet too. And he's Mm -hmm. kind of doing a lot of different roles right now. I mean, he was kind of thrown into the into this defense against Arizona. You saw him doing a bunch of things, and now this was his second game kind of playing, not a full complement of snaps, but a, a lot of snaps for somebody who missed training camp up until basically now with a foot injury. I'm not worried about McKinney, and he looks up to speed from an athletic standpoint, and he's probably not even in 100% of shape right, right. now. So I still have a lot of high hopes for Xavier McKinney, and I don't think he had a bad game either in, in this no, matchup. I thought he was good in the run game. I thought it was a step forward. Let's talk about another play that bothered me, Nick, because the score right here is 13-3 to Browns, and the Giants are gifted with the situation where the Browns have first and goal from the Giants' 21-yard line in the fourth quarter with 14-18 left in this game. Now, when you get a team backed up in first and goal from their own 21 in the constricted red zone, this almost always should lead to a field goal. Almost always. It should lead to a third and long, likely third and 12, and then usually the offense checks down and takes the field goal. Now, if the Giants had executed this as most teams normally do in these situations, then you hold them to the field goal. It's 16-3. It's still a two-possession game with almost the entire fourth quarter remaining. You have a shot to win a game in a two-possession game. You really do. Instead, first and 21... The Browns are able to pick up 17 yards here. My question for you is, why is Logan Ryan bailing from the hash to the middle of the field where Martinez is already dropping into that zone? There's not a single receiver running around anywhere near that area, so the Giants end up having three players in that area, including Ryan, who rotates down there, and Martinez. And then by the time Ryan has to rotate back to, to the spot... There's a wide open hole for Baker to throw a back shoulder throw here and pick up 17 yards to get the Browns into a second and goal from the four and in position to potentially get a touchdown. It's so frustrating. What I think Logan Ryan had on his plate was he was going to play single high safety. I think Blake Martinez dropped to a necessary depth kind of right off the snap, but Logan Ryan was going to play single high here, but basically right at the snap. Baker Mayfield threw the football so it makes it look like he was just kind of playing out of position and there was a pass off here this is another great route scheme from Kevin Stefanski so Logan Ryan was going to play single high here he was going to shade towards the three by one set or three by two set I'm sorry but he's starting on the three by two side but Baker Mayfield throws that football basically right after the snap and Logan Ryan just stays on that original side and it's just the Browns taking advantage of the switch coverages. You can call it maybe banjo coverages, which is usually more for bunch stack kind of situations, but it's just a switch. Tay Crowder is going to cover the receiver who's going to break out, which is the number one receiver who kind of stays in the flat, and he's switching his coverage assignment from the number two receivers, who's Rashard Higgins, to Isaac Yidem, who is the outside boundary corner. And then there's inside help with Blake Martinez and Logan Ryan, because Logan Ryan's job is not only to play single high, but to read Baker Mayfield and react to what he's doing. So he's reading Baker, he reacts to Baker, and right when that switch happens between Crowder and Yadam, Yadam is in no position, nor should he be. This is a tough spot for him to make a play on this football, but there are those inside defenders who could possibly make a play on that ball, but Logan Ryan was shading towards the strength of the formation, the three wide receiver side, 
pre-snap, and he didn't have enough time to break down. Again, kind of the theme of this whole podcast is timing and rhythm. And Baker Mayfield was just about as perfect as you could be in terms of timing in this football game. And he utilized great timing here, throwing this football right before Logan Ryan can drive down and force a PBU. Yeah, this was the most impressed I've ever been with Baker Mayfield. He really did a great job of taking advantage of the Giants' switch coverages, and that requires incredible timing and great velocity and ball placement. He had all of those things. I don't think that next week when the Giants face the Ravens, and obviously, you know, if they somehow find a way to beat the Ravens, they're right back in this NFC East race, regardless of what happens with Washington football team and everyone else in the division, they'll still have a shot week 17. I don't think that Lamar Jackson is going to be able to do what Baker Mayfield was able to do. That Watching that passing game, it's not really a rhythm-based passing game in my mind, and they're not really on good rhythm, even if they was considered a rhythm-based passing game. So I don't find that to be, you know, as much of a long-term concern, but it was interesting to see a Giants defense that was able to get off the field early and often and consistently on third and longs throughout the season to not be able to do that in this game. And we mentioned on previous podcasts how two vertical routes to manipulate the deep one-third defender has been something that teams like Washington and Philadelphia have used to take advantage of the Giants at times in games. I think in this specific game against Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, it was even more than that, man. It was just so many route concepts, high lows to, to really just put the defense into a spot where they couldn't execute their assignments because they were always void in the zones and the timing that Baker Mayfield threw the football with was just way too on point for the defense to really do anything. They had to be in tight coverage if they were going to do anything because there were so many open windows for this for this quarterback to throw the football into. Yeah, you're 100% right. One other thing I wanted to touch on was I thought the snap distribution in this game was pretty interesting. Earlier, we talked about how the big three IDLs played more snaps together than we'd seen all season, 48 of the 64. In general, I thought the Giants did a, had a really interesting strategy here. They really didn't use too many second-level defenders for major snaps. It seemed like a game that was mostly IDLs, and with the exception of Blake Martinez, a lot of defensive backs, um, and then obviously Carter Coughlin, but he only played 28 snaps. So what do you make of the way the Giants tried to approach this offense given you know what they were able to accomplish after the fact and what the Giants tried to do to stop them I think the Giants first goal was to slow Nick Chubb down and then force Baker Mayfield to throw the football if you stop the run then their play action may not be as effective and the Giants did a solid job stopping the run but Baker Mayfield was just so hot in this damn game that they couldn't slow that down and just the way he was able to sling the football around the field, the way Kevin Stefanski was calling play-action bootlegs, getting Baker Mayfield on the run a little bit, hitting wide receivers who were breaking through zones and throwing not even really, yeah, I guess you could say into tight windows because there were a couple passes that were into really tight windows, but just throwing into voided areas in the zone coverage that were wide open. It kind of this defensive line couldn't really even do anything. There there wasn't a lot of pressure, even on the in, in the times where the Browns weren't using quick game. There wasn't a lot of pressure, but that's also due to the fact that these edge rushers can't get pressure on guys like Jack Conklin and, <laughs> Jedrick, and Wills. Jedrick Wills. I thought Leonard Williams had another good game in terms of getting some pressure. I know Pro Football Focus, Dan's favorite entity in the sports world, <laughs> had three pressures, and he looked solid in in Russ in the pass. I thought he did really good against the run. I thought Dexter Lawrence did really good against the run. Dexter Lawrence did end up having that sack. That was a really impressive sack. But in terms of these second-level defenders, I just don't think a lot of them are 
all that great and you wanted to use three down linemen to occupy that offensive line and then hope that your physical safeties like Colbert, Peppers, Logan Ryan, and even Xavier McKinney will be able to fill in the run while that the defensive line really kind of puts that on their back. And then those other defenders will be able to take advantage of the passing game, be quick, and not allow those windows to be so big, but they were. And I also think guys like Devontae Downs goes in there, gives up that touchdown to Austin Hooper, looks totally lost, has absolutely no awareness on where any of the offensive weapons are. It's not a good look for these linebackers, and that's easily the the worst part of this defense. Are these edge rushers and these linebackers not named Blake Martinez? I mean, Carter Coughlin, I love the guy, but... Going up against Jedrick Wills, the guy, it was just like, like like when you're a little kid, you know, on the playground and you're like a first grader and you run over to like the sixth graders and you just like the guy just sticks his hand. That's kind of what it was like. And I don't mean to just bash Carter Coughlin, but he's not going to get by guys like Jedrick Wills with his footwork or Jack Conklin with his experience. It's just not going to happen. And that's, I think, another reason. These guys just weren't really effective. And you saw David Mayo playing on the edge, Barrel. David Mayo. Played 25 snaps. Disgusting. And a lot of them were just on the edge to be an extra run defender along with Jabal Sheard. Yeah. There's no pass rushing upside, little pass rushing upside with Sheard and like none with David Mayo on the edge. But you got to try to stop the run. And I feel like they were like, hey, our strength in this team is Dalvin Thompson, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence. Let's get them on the field. Let's spread them out. Let's use tight fronts. Let's use 2-4-5 and Leonard Williams can be out as a five technique if we're going to go 3-3-5 which they didn't do all that much of because they didn't have the linebackers out there as much as we saw. It was just much more of the defensive backs. Yep. Yeah, it's really interesting. You brought up some great points there. Like, when you have these reps of, like, David Mayo at the edge, like Nick said, there's almost no pass rushing upside, but you're there to stop the run. It's interesting. You're kind of giving up on those pass plays as far as getting pressure when you have a guy like Mayo or even Coughlin to some extent. You know, Coughlin's a good hustle player, and he does a good job of dropping into zone. He's athletic, but... He's a limited player because of his length and because of his size. And, you know, that's just physics. We had, we had what's his name, uh, Irv Smith's uncle talk about that, Ed Smith, a couple weeks. That's just physics. That's what he said. And you even got guys <laughs> like Tate Crowder out there who, you know, there was some hype we had around him. It's, it's, it's nice. He's an interesting, okay guy. But I still think they need an upgrade there too. I think they need a guy who's, who's more aware in, in zone coverage because they're going to use so much of this zone coverage. And Crowder's fast. He's quick. But... He's not ultimately that guy yet, and I thought he didn't have a great game in that regard. And you know, it's just there's a lot of pieces on this defense that I still need that I think still need to be upgraded, and they will. But ultimately, I was intrigued to see that you know their game plan simply was let's stop the run and go from there. And, and unfortunately, in this game, Baker Mayfield was playing too well, and Kevin Stefanski was calling too good of a game for it to work. And the loss of uh, James Bradbury is also. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's not the only reason this defense got cut up. I do believe Stefanski deserves a lot of credit. But when you don't have James Bradbury to kind of lock down the one side of the field, I think Mm -hmm. I brought this up on the uh, Reaction podcast, then then your safeties kind of have to be cognizant of both sides of the field, whereas before you kind of have James Bradbury, you don't need to really scheme as much help to that side. It also depends on the formation, 2x2, 3x1, whatever the sets are, where those safeties are going to end up rotating the threat that the offense presents. But just having Bradbury gives the defensive coordinator that safe feeling of, hey, we don't really need to scheme help that direction. But when it's Julian Love, you're going to need to scheme help in that direction. And typically, the Giants defense schemes help towards the other guy, Isaac Yayam. So that's kind of the quandary that 
Patrick Graham definitely found himself in. Yeah, good point. That's another excellent point right there. I mean, this defense is a lot different when they don't have one guy locking down one side of the field, and we saw that, which you know goes to show what an excellent addition Bradbury was to this team and will be moving forward. All right, anything else you want to touch on on the defensive side of the ball that stood out to you? In the second quarter, with about 2.23 left in the game, there was a vertical concept, hitch seams, which is a common cover three beater where the outside wide receivers basically run hitches and then the inside receivers run seams and it puts the single high safety into a con well, I shouldn't say single high because it is cover three but the middle of the field safety into conflict which was Xavier McKinney and this was the play that was a 22 yard pass to David Njoku that was pinpoint over Logan Ryan but if you just look at how the routes materialize you could see several guys kind of end up coming open because of this play call on the outside at the top of the screen if you want to follow along on game pass you have that quick hitch and the underneath curl flat defender gets sucked up by kareem hunt in the flat he's wide open david njoku who ends up getting the ball he runs past both of the middle hook defenders and comes up right by the numbers he ends up becoming wide open because Xavier McKinney can't crack down on him until he sees Baker Mayfield throw the football because you have another seam breaking from the other side of the field, and Julian Love isn't in position to make a play on that. And that's not necessarily Love's fault, per se. He's outside, and this is an inside seam from somebody who's about seven yards inside the numbers. It's a tough play to kind of execute there for Julian Love. But you could just see how so many different defenders are in conflict on this specific play. Yeah, I mean, that was the theme throughout the game with what Stefanski put on tape. There was a lot of plays where he put a lot of defenders into conflict. And when you run four curls to the sticks, you don't put a lot of defenders in conflict. And I think, you know, this game to me, and I've said it before, I don't want to beat this dead horse, but I will, I guess. This game was really that breaking point for me where I just said, you know what? I don't care about the whole idea of putting Jones through a third coordinator because I think somebody else brought, Bobby Skinner might have brought some on Twitter. There's actually more examples of quarterbacks doing well moving to a new system than there are of oh he gets an extra year and things just mad you know get so much better because there's so much more continuity and you know you just see other people run a game plan like this you see another coach run a game plan like this and it opens up your eyes to what could be and I think that ultimately the Giants will have to look themselves in the mirror I hope they do and you know understand that it's unacceptable that they're 31st in scoring and that the only offense worse than them is the Jets who are basically punting on a season and with that said, they need to figure out a way to upgrade this. And it's not just sign a receiver. There has to be another way to do it. And the best way to do it, which we've said in the past, besides quarterback play, which is a whole nother story, but the best way to do it is coaching and have better route concepts and have better play calling and a better, a better system and better play calling. So hopefully the Giants take a look in the mirror, look at this game as an example and say, look, things can be a lot better from a route combination standpoint. Another play that I really loved from Stefanski was the first play of the second half. The Browns are in shotgun. They are in, I want to say that those are two tight ends out there. So they are in 12 personnel, but one of the tight ends is actually standing up off the line of scrimmage, which is kind of cool, something that they have. They have three tight ends, and I think this really works in this Stefanski, the personnel that he has. They have three tight ends that can run routes and are athletic enough to run routes. The Giants do not have that. David Njoku is a true athlete. Austin Hooper is a solid athlete who is a really big body and he can run some good routes as well. And then Harrison Bryant is a developing player who's a pretty solid receiver. So you can do so many different things. You could bring out your 13 personnel package. Giants bring out what they're going to play against in their 13 personnel package. And then they realize, oh crap, we 
they're spreading these guys out, and now we need to put Devontae Downs in space, which is probably another reason why we didn't see a lot of those second-level defenders sometimes. And they just kind of kept the big guys, relied on them. You know they're going to take up the blocks, have them rush the passers, and then have the speed to kind of guard all these other guys. That's why we see Xavier McKinney on Austin Hooper in the routes. On this specific play, first play of the second half, love top of the screen, love this route this simple route concept right here to take advantage of zone. You have the number one receiver, if you want to call him that, Austin Hooper just running a dig route, and then inside of him releasing off the line of scrimmage is Harrison Bryant just running a quick stick. It's a quick stick route, run about two yards, turn around, and that sucks Blake Martinez right towards him, and the other defenders are outside because it's a zone coverage. They're outside of Austin Hooper already. Since Blake Martinez's attention is going to Harrison Bryant and not to Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper just goes right behind Blake Martinez into an open void of about six yards and catches the football for an easy first down. That is a very good route concept right there. And if you guys want, you should go check that out because the other defender, Tay Crowder, he has to pay attention to those backside receivers coming across the field. So there's just a wide open area in the middle of the field for Austin Hooper. Yeah, it's another great example of a really good play call and a really good design by Stefanski. This was an excellent game plan from the Browns. And if you're trying to figure out how and why the Browns were able to crack this Patrick Graham defense, give a lot of credit to both Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that the Baltimore Ravens don't have as much success. And I think with Bradbury, they may not. But Stefanski, just got to clap your hands at how he was able to basically expand the outermost of certain players' zones while finding a way to bring another route into the innermost of their zones and doing that on both sides of the field. So big voids were available throughout the entirety of plays. Yeah, it's super impressive. Speaking of the Ravens matchup coming up, another must-win game for the Giants. I guess you could have called this one a must-win, but it ultimately is not because the NFC East lost across the board. So the Giants are still alive as long as they win this game against the Ravens. If they lose this game, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, There might be some weird mathematical way they can still get in if they lose this game, but I don't even think that's the case at this point. But I haven't even followed it. I'll be honest with you guys on the podcast. Well, I'd have to take another deeper look, but I'm pretty sure it's a must-win game. So now that you've taken the time to really break it down, you said you wrote you know, over 4,600 words just on this matchup this week. What is your expectations for the Giants in this game, and what do they have to do to get the upset win? They need to stop the rushing attack of the Baltimore Ravens and force Lamar Jackson to throw the football. That's what you need to do. You need to contain Lamar Jackson when he drops back to pass. If he doesn't like what he sees, you cannot allow him to break the pocket. If he does, you cannot allow him to pick up chunk yardage with his legs. You have to stop the zone read. You have to be very disciplined like we've seen the Giants be in the past against teams like Seattle. They were very disciplined on the back end, not biting down on the zone read. You stay where your responsibility is, you read Lamar Jackson, and then you react. Also, design quarterback runs, they do a lot of them. The Giants need to be able to hold up at the point of attack and not allow those power gap concepts to really take advantage of the Giants on the edge. And that's something that I am concerned about. I don't know if we're going to see as much Carter Coughlin with the size disparity. We may be seeing a lot more Jabal Sheard, some more David Mayo, which isn't, you know, great, but you can't have somebody who is literally outweighed by 100 pounds out there and somebody who already kind of struggles against the run. And I also think you got to worry about that play action passing attack. You need to have the middle of the field secure because Mark Andrews is a very dangerous target running those horizontal crosses. You need to have the communication on the back end with all of those defenders to ensure that there aren't these gigantic just open spaces in the middle of the defense that we saw against the Baltimore Ravens. But again, kudos 
to Baker Mayfield because he was able to make these throws. The Giants have to force Lamar Jackson to make these throws, and that's how they can have a chance in this game if Daniel Jones is helping in the offense kind of figures their way out. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually feel decently confident that the defense can have a big-time bounce-back game against Lamar Jackson. I don't really love what I've seen from Lamar Jackson's passing game this year. My other question to you, even though we're on the defensive podcast, so we can wrap it up with this, is what does the Giants' offense need to do to change this up? These last two weeks have been absolutely miserable. They don't score any points in either game. So how did they score points on this Ravens defense? I think you do something similar to what they did against the Browns, <laughs> and hopefully you have Daniel Jones who can actually make some of these throws. Sure. Not optimistic about it. I think you still stick with the run. I think you still call passing plays on running downs, and you kind of keep this defense guessing, and you got to try to hit chunk plays, man, because you're playing against a secondary that is incredibly talented and I know Jimmy Smith is beat up a little bit but you have Marlon Humphrey who plays slot he plays all over the secondary for the Baltimore Ravens and you also have Marcus Peters Chuck Clark Deshaun Elliott the latter two are the safeties and they're playing at a high level as well very very fast speedy linebackers if you can use some sort of misdirections maybe you can manipulate them because LJ Fort's pretty solid from a mental standpoint, but Patrick Queen can still be susceptible to some mistakes, but his athletic ability definitely makes up for a lot of those mistakes. It's going to be very tough to move the football against that defense, but that defense has given up yardage on the ground over the last couple weeks since basically Calais Campbell left, went on the COVID list, had a calf injury. Now he's back. They haven't really been the same defense on the ground. We watched the Browns absolutely thrash them on the ground, and I think the Giants can possibly have success with that, but it's just scoring points. How are you going to finish in the red zone? Because that's something the Giants have struggled with. Yeah, I think you're 100% spot on there. We'll have to see what happens. But we look forward to it. Hopefully the Giants can make us proud. Thank you again for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. As always, if you want to help us out, head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.